Hello and welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Monza, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about chapters 13 through 15 of the Titan's Curse. These are these are the some of the most iconic chapters in the book. Yeah, and they they were huge. I think they we say large. that every single time, but like these were these were exceptionally chocked full of of trauma and more trauma. More trauma. <laughs> I mean, we have the for those of you who don't know yet, but the I mean, you should know. It's crazy. Yeah. Where, yeah. where are you here? Yeah. The most iconic set of jokes for, you know, people who are really into these books. The damn jokes. And, you know, Bianca and just getting a little bit more backstory. I, They really love the Hercules team theme. Like, they continue they to do. stick. They. He. <laughs> the author. Singular yeah. author. Rick. Who knows? Maybe he had ghostwriters. Never know. You never know. That is true. I went to a bookstore this weekend, and I love to just, like, browse the the young, not the young adults, but, like, the children's section to see, like... Oh, my gosh. I was literally doing that earlier today. There's a new Barnes & Noble near my Trader Joe's, Mm. and I was, I just went to the children's section. Anyway, continue. Well, it's great to see, like, what the kids are reading these days, Mm -hmm. because I'm, like, the, the variety of it I was like oh I would have eaten that up and that one and that one oh I would like check that out of the library immediately and I'm like ugh ugh to be youthful again I saw one chapter book when I was there that was like about baby animals and they had one about dolphins and I would have like I was like I would have I would have slurped that up as a child <laughs> that would have been mine that would have been my go-to and then also, like, half the books are books that I read at, like, Junie B. Jones and books yeah. that I read as a kid. And I'm like, kids are still reading these? Wow. I mean, Junie B. Jones, like, came out even before we were children who could read, right? Like, they're older than us. I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I just, like, I don't know. It was really nice. I saw some more um, of his book. He's not the author. He has, like... Oh, the rip- imprint books? Is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. The Rick Riordan Presents books. Yes. And mm-hmm. so there was one that was about, like, I think Hindu mythology. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, looked at it and I was really confused. I was like, what is this man writing about now? And then I saw someone else was writing it. And so I was like, oh, interesting. There's like yeah. a whole universe that he's created that I just, like, didn't have any idea about. We should we should definitely look it up. I, I've heard really good things. I've heard that, like, some people say that the rick riordan presents books are like better than the percy jackson ones so it's they look really good that feels blasphemous a little bit i know right i know <laughs> like <laughs> all right uh i think i kind of summarized what we're yeah. going to be talking about yeah so uh, basically can... shit hits the fan <laughs> that's it's all a... do you want to start us off yes all right chapter 13 we visit the junkyard of the gods it's a large chapter just a collective groan about this one they ride the boar until sunset uh once they get off the boar it eats and then it immediately turns away and goes back towards the mountains um they realize that they are in gila claw arizona which is a ghost town in the desert which i would also run back to the mountains if i was the boar and i wound up in a ghost town in the desert or just in arizona yeah, 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 
response to any Arizona listeners. Yeah. We, we, we're from the mountains, what can we we're say? We're from the mountains, we're projecting. Yeah. <laughs> Grover onto does, the boar. Onto the boar. <laughs> Grover does some reed pipe magic using some acorns, which tells him that a monster is nearby and that their next challenge is a junkyard that they can see in, a dis- in the distance. So they camp out, and while camping out, the group talks. Bianca marvels about the stars and how many there are out there. Percy makes fun of the way Zoe talks. Grover wishes that he could go look for Pan. And most importantly, they speculate about how in the world Bianca killed that skeleton. They're like, we don't know how that could happen. It's not like we don't know her godly parent yet, and it's not like we could put any thought into that, but no. Zoe then suggests that after the junkyard, they stop in Vegas, which is the nearest city, and Bianca immediately freaks out about this and recalls a very faint memory of her and Nico being there for a long, long time. So everything clicks for Percy here. He's like, where have I heard this story before? It turns out that Bianca and Nico had been stuck at the Lotus Hotel and Casino, and her last memory of the president is FDR, meaning she would have been in the ho- she went into the hotel in the 1940s. Before they can further dissect what happened to Bianca and Nico, the headlights of a deathly white limo approach. Surprise! It's me and my supervillain limo, as discussed two episodes ago. I'm blasting Taylor Swift. <laughs> you said party bus, so you're like yeah, you're much right. more intense than the supervillain. I said limo. limo at first, though. This could be me. This could be a version this of could me. be. Yeah. I do love the idea of a supervillain limo. Right? It's yeah, great. It's great. You should again read Animorphs. <laughs> supervillain rides in a limo. Anyway, just kidding. It is not me. But it looks wise, it's close. It's Aphrodite, goddess of love. I'm so sorry. Can you imagine you're a super villain, but you're driving the limo and then you have to parallel park? <laughs> and then we're all just watching the super villain try to parallel park a limo. Iconic. Iconic. I'm so sorry I interrupted you. Continue. You did interrupt me. I was just comparing my own beauty to Aphrodite. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Ares is there, but uh, no one cares about Ares. Ares Mm. tells them that they stopped because his lady wanted to meet Percy and requests that Percy come into the car. When he sees her, he immediately is struck by her beauty, just as people are when they see me. so sorry okay so i'm gonna read the description of her when i saw her my jaw dropped i forgot my name i forgot where i was i forgot how to speak in complete sentences she was wearing a red satin dress and her hair was curled in a cascade of ringlets her face was the most beautiful face i'd ever seen perfect makeup dazzling eyes a smile that would have lit up the dark side of the moon but then like he never actually describes anything about her in the sense that, like, we don't get her hair color, skin color, eye color. Like, it's very, like, she's very amorphous to what beauty, like, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Um, but Percy does note that when she smiles, she looks like Annabeth. And then she also looks like an actress he had a crush on from TV. And then he immediately puts those thoughts out of his mind. He's well, like, that <laughs> means nothing to me. No, I think it's more like, oh, just don't open that door right now. Yeah, That's he's for, like, three more years later. The goddess of love looks like my best friend. That's awkward. Not going to think about that. (laughs) Aphrodite then asks Percy if he knows why she's there and makes a comment that he still is still in denial. Aphrodite is clearly really invested in the potential romance between Percy and Annabeth. Same. Same. Aren't we all? We're all Aphrodite in this Mm -hmm. situation. 
And she's fawning over the fact that Percy is on a quest to save Annabeth. Apparently Aphrodite has been helping out the whole time, all because she loves the romance of it all. She planted the idea in the Stoll brothers' heads to poison the t-shirt for Phoebe. She sent Blackjack to find Percy. Aphrodite wants Percy to save Annabeth and then make sure that she doesn't join the hunters because Aphrodite is super biased against the hunters just as they're super biased against her. And again, I'm like, why can't we all just accept differing lifestyles and differing views on romance? A lot of projecting going on with, with Aphrodite and the hunters here. If I wrote Greek mythology, right... I would have a whole section of my story being like Aphrodite and Artemis realized the, miso- the how their views in life are deep rooted in misogyny and they broke mm. free of it and then kill Zeus. Oh my gosh, can you write that story? I don't yeah. even care if it's good, just write it. Make it like a crack style fan fiction. I don't even care. Oh, it sounds great. We're all waiting in anticipation. <laughs> She, uh, Aphrodite wants Percy to forget about the hunters and just abandon them and go focus on Annabeth and save her. But she won't tell him anything useful, like telling him where to go. Uh, classic god move. She promises Percy that it won't be easy or boring for him, and she says, quote, No, I have some wonderful surprises in store. Anguish, indecision, oh, just you wait. And then she tells him to be careful and not take anything from her husband's junkyard and says goodbye. Before he leaves, Ares says he wishes he could kill Percy, but he's heard that Percy might start the biggest war in history, no pressure. So he doesn't want to mess that up, because Ares Ares loves war. So Percy is overall overwhelmed by this run-in, but nonetheless, he must return to his quest. He's like, I'm not going to abandon the hunters. Like, yeah, I want to save Annabeth, but there's a lot just happened. And this feels, you know, like the chapter maybe should have ended there. But no, the chapter just more, more, a lot more. So they head into Hephaestus's junkyard. It is full of a bunch of metal objects, legs from statues, smashed chariots, shields and swords, real gold, etc. Talia reminds everyone to not touch anything. That's very bad. Just as Grover is trying to eat a crown, <laughs> which is really classic for him. Mm-hmm. The edge of the junkyard finally comes into view when Bianca notices something. There are ten thick metal columns wedged tightly together like really large toes. They move around the toes and make it out of the junkyard, breathe a sigh of relief, only for it to be snatched away. Behind them, the mountain begins to move, and a bronze giant in full Greek armor rises up. Turns out those toes are actual toes. We talk about toes quite a bit in these next two chapters. Mm, Good, good. Mm -hmm. Great. Love that. Um, He is described as impossibly tall, a skyscraper with legs and arms. He gleamed wickedly in the moonlight, looked down at us, his face was deformed, the left side partially melted off. His joints creaked with rust, and across his armored chest, written in thick dust by some giant finger, were the words, wash me. That's my favorite detail. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Talos. Um, Manasa, what is the the Greek myth of Talos? So depending on who you ask, Talos was either a giant bronze man, or a bull, or something in between and he was created by Hephaestus at the request of Zeus in order to protect Europa who was one of Zeus's numerous love interests mm-hmm. and he essentially guarded Crete by throwing rocks at pirates who tried to come and invade kind of love that for him yeah that's like his entire thing hmm. good for him throwing mm-hmm. rocks at pirates sounds fun 
And, okay, so it turns out this is not actually Talos. This is a prototype of him because it's apparently too small to be the real Talos. Um, but regardless, it's after them and it's deadly because somebody took something. They split up and run. Percy ends up hiding behind a broken chariot with Bianca. So it turns out Bianca took something. A tiny metal figurine. It's the only mythomagic figurine that Nico didn't have. Just, ugh, ugh, beautiful. She drops the figurine, but the monster doesn't stop its pursuit. Percy notices a maintenance hatch on the bottom of the monster's foot and suggests that they try to get inside the monster and control it or turn it off. <clears throat> I will say this is a very chaotic plan. This is definitely like 13-year-old brain right here. Yeah. But it, it works. It, it works in a way. Yeah. Well, Bianca volunteers to go instead of Percy because she's like, this is my fault. I'm the one who took the mythomagic figure. She tells Percy that if anything happens, he should give the figurine to Nico. Bianca gets inside the monster and makes it punch itself in the face, which is incredible. <laughs> and then do the funky chicken. I love this. Love that we get to see this glimpse of Bianca's personality only for it to be dashed away. The monster <laughs> heads toward the power lines and begins to fall apart and then crumbles. When they search the wreckage, Bianca is just straight up gone. And Grover like quotes the prophecy and is like, one shall be lost in the land without rain. And so Bianca's dead. And that's how the chapter ends. I remember reading this as a child and not understanding that she died. Like, it took I, me a long time to understand that she died. Same. I genuinely, this is, like, my third or fourth time reading this book, and I'm still, like, she's not dead, right? Because I maybe, it's, like, a mixture of it being a children's book and also who her godly parent is, that we mm. don't find a mangled mess of a body, and there's no description of them finding. Because they look for her. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to find her if her body was there, but, like... I don't think, even when you have deaths later on in the series, Percy never actually sees a body. Because, yeah. can you imagine having to write that as a 12, and then read it as a, like an 8-year-old? That might have been too traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't but know. But then it also makes death feel very ambiguous. Like, I guess she died. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted the description of her. <laughs> Stop. Of the death. I wanted it. It would solidify it. So I know because I seriously thought she was not dead. Yeah. And I think even the second time I read this book, I was like, oh, this isn't her death. Like, she comes back and then she dies. Like, it just yeah. felt, like, way sooner than I thought. So I have a lot of thoughts on this chapter. My first one is my easy thought that I'll get out of the way. So I was like, Aphrodite could arguably be responsible for, like, a ton of the crap that happens in Percy's life. So she obviously, I think she clearly plants Rachel in the next chapter. Like, she's like, I'm going to make this interesting. I'm going to make this girl randomly appear at the hoover dam and then randomly come to his school like she plants rachel in his path i think but i think more than that i think you could argue that a ton of the plot points of heroes of olympus and a lot of the barriers that percy and annabeth face uh they create a riveting love story i don't know i think aphrodite has a little bit of a hand like she's just like ooh, that would be good <sighs> just a pain any... overall like i i don't mind boring it's okay just give me stability a little bit <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? Like, is is to her credit, they have a great love story. Not necessarily like I think in PJO, it's like fine, it's cute. But mm -hmm. here's of Olympus, it's pretty epic. Without, well, I won't. We're not gonna spoil it, but it's mm. it's great. It's great. We'll get there. You can and tell I, she's not participating in Piper and Jason's love story at all. No, she has no involvement in that. She's not interested. Wait, isn't she? Isn't she Piper's mom? Yes. 
<laughs> she's a she's, Piper can handle it. She's like, get over him, Piper. Move yeah. on. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> yeah. So my next bullet point was just a keyboard slam. And then I, <laughs> I was, so I was thinking a bunch about Bianca's death and how it's so tragic, but it's mostly tragic with the foresight. Because when I read this the first time, and honestly the second time, and like, kind of low-key this time, like, I just don't think she's dead when she dies. Like, it doesn't yeah. have a lasting, like, sad impact, the immediate death, because it just seems so unreal and there's no body. But then when you know the foresight of everything that happened, her death is extra tragic because her and Nico... First of all, they're set up barely even as characters at this point. Like, Nico's, like, basically the annoying little brother, and she is the overburdened older sister, and they're just defined in a relationship to one another. And we never get to know Bianca outside of that, and I wish we had, because she only is, like, like, her character at this point, all we know about her is her trauma of, like, raising her brother on her own and then, like, becoming a hunter. That's all we know. And... We get to know Nico later on, obviously, but Nico literally just becomes, like, trauma-embodied. Like, he is just, like, whatever, like, echo of a character he is right now, when Bianca dies, he just becomes, like, extreme emo child. And, like, I want to believe he becomes, like, you know, he gets in touch with his inner child as he grows older and, you know, goes to therapy, but I don't think half-bloods have therapy. Um, but it's just so, and I think the reason I feel like I'm so critical of her decision to join the Hunters is because of the foresight, because I'm like, I want to know her character. Like, it would have been so cool to have two children of Hades causing chaos at Camp Half-Blood. And, like, I want I wish I knew what Nico would have been like if he didn't have to become an emo edgelord. Just, ugh. I think it'd be kind of, it'd be really funny to have this really bubbly, very, like, innocent very sweet boy being the son of Hades right it would be so good <laughs> and like they both could have oh it's just annoying I just I I honestly feel like this death like could have been done a lot better yeah I agree but it but... is a kid's book I think that's part of the reason why like children reading it are like what's death I don't know what that is never yeah. experienced it and this is kind of like oh an introduction, an introduction to death by Bianca. <laughs> well, also you have the the whole thing of, yes, Bianca is a child of Hades. We know that. If you don't yeah. know that, that sucks for you. But, Sorry. Um, she and Percy are traveling together. Like, there's no way that either. And then also Talia. Like, you have the three, big three, all traveling together. And they're like, why are monsters being able to find us so fast? Like, right. <laughs> And can you imagine, I, I agree with Talia's arc, which I will get into more. Like, can you imagine if Talia, Bianca, and Percy were all, like, kind of friends at Camp Half-Blood and, like, they would, like, clash in similar ways that their parents did, like, their godly parents did, and it would just yeah. be so fascinating. I guess Nico's there, but, meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think it was as well done. It felt very rushed and it felt like she just had to die for nico's character plot which is yes but and i hate i i hate that don't kill off women just to further the man's plot (laughs) man is a strong word for this baby the boy child (laughs) baby plot (laughs) yeah well i think her death sucks but i also don't think it's like written that sad 
which is no. really weird. Also, we'll uh, we'll move on to your chapter because I think they move on from it so fast. Very fast, yeah. It alarms me. Like I want to have a little like grieving when I have their little <laughs> brief section. Maybe that's why I write like sad YA. But you know, because <laughs> you're like no one processed it enough in my like childhood books, so I have yeah. to do it for all these other children. I have to do it for them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, chapter 14, I have a damn problem. (laughs) So they find an old tow truck at the edge of the dump and manage to get it going. It has its key and it has gas, so they're like, we'll just go. Talia drives, and she seems to be the only one not as affected by Bianca's death. Like, none of the other ones are even responsive. So now we have Zoe, Grover, and Percy, and Talia left, and... Talia's like, hey, we gotta go. We gotta keep moving. The skeletons are still out there. Let's just go. And she's like, moving on from it pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Percy is still holding on to the figurine that Bianca had taken and is trying to comprehend how he's even going to begin to break this news to Nico. He's like, oh crap. I have to be the one to tell Nico that his sister died. Mm-hmm. Grover won't... This, this, this paragraph really... I really wasn't super on the Grover bash like yes I was on the Grover bashing train but I got off a little bit I was like oh he's useful with his acorns and he loves Percy so it's fine this paragraph made me want to strangle him oh no because like so Percy feels really bad and feels like he's the one to blame because it was his idea that to go into the metal man through the foot and he's like Mm -hmm. it should have been me I was the one who was gonna do it and Grover is like no, it's bad enough that Annabeth is missing. Having you go missing or dying would be the worst thing for me. I, I can't I can't handle that. And <laughs> Percy's like, yeah, you know, Grover does seem a bit more fragile than usual because since his encounter with Pan in New Mexico. And, <clears throat> and I quote, I wrote it in my notes. There's a line that says, at least there's one good thing about having a friend who gets freaked out more than you do. I realized I couldn't stay stay depressed. And I was like, um, that's called gatekeeping feelings, Percy. Like, Percy has to be strong because Grover can't handle him being sad. It's just an absolute garbage situation. I'm just gonna say it. I agree. I think that the fandom is like, oh, Grover's the emotionally intelligent one. And I'm like, is he? Is he really? He's just the only one who's allowed to have feelings because he doesn't have to be a main character. He's like a side best friend, so he gets to have all of the feelings. And Percy has to compartmentalize because he can't even have the feelings because this empathy link is going to let Grover know that he's having the feelings. And Grover's going to be like, if you're freaking out, I'm going to freak out. And that's not okay. Oh, man. So the truck runs out of gas and blows a tire at the edge of the river canyon. So Grover suggests they go down the super narrow path that Percy calls a goat goat path. And he, like, Percy considers it for a second. He's like, it would be faster, and it, but it is pretty narrow. Then he go, looks over and sees Talia's expression. And he's like, you know what? Actually, we're going to suggest a different, I'm going to suggest a different route. And they're all like, why? No, this is easier. And Percy just doesn't answer. He's like, we're going to take this route. Talia then is like, thank you so much, like, pulls him aside and is like, thank you so much. Um, This makes my life easier, obviously. Thanks for not letting everyone know that I'm scared of heights. Mm -hmm. And they end up going up to, like, an old 
canoe store thing and it's empty so they just take some canoes and leave some money behind and Percy's like I can probably control the rapids rapids if we encounter any so we'll just get in the canoes and start going down the river Talia asks him to take Zoe in his canoe since she hasn't really even spoken since Bianca died and Talia's like I don't think I can talk to her so again Percy's like you know the emotional support without able to being able to process his own emotions, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. Are you projecting on a Percy a little? <laughs> <laughs> what? No. <laughs> I, I process my feelings really well in a very healthy way. Thank you so much. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Please <laughs> share with the class. What are those ways? <laughs> I simply don't have them, Aaron. Um, you're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 And that's the trick. <laughs> and then one day I'll die, so it's perfect. That I mean, that's true. Yes. We all die. <laughs> Are we died. going there? Is that where we're going on this podcast? <laughs> God. Anyway, um, a couple nads, naiads. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Are already in the water, and Percy describes them as looking like the pretty girls in school. He's very, like, I don't know. He's shy, but at the same time, they're water creatures. So he's like, hey, can you help us out? And they start giggling, and they immediately just start carrying the canoes for him. So he's like, this is great. Zoe says that she hates naiads and that they haven't forgiven her for something in the past. Percy tries to talk to her and about like Bianca dying wasn't her fault and actually it was his fault but Zoe takes the blame. She says that she pushed Bianca to go on a quest when she really wasn't ready and she feels super guilty. It was really funny because I was as I was reading that I started typing like this is actually Zoe's fault because she pushed her to go on the quest and then Zoe takes responsibility and I felt immediately bad. So I didn't get that note. I was like oh okay never mind. She says that Bianca had a great heart and was really level-headed and she really thought that Bianca would be the next lieutenant which confuses Percy because Zoe's the next lieutenant is the lieutenant and she's immortal but zoe says nothing lasts forever she says that she's been a hunter for over two thousand years but still feels super stupid a lot of the times which i felt i was like yeah i know understand how that feels yeah i also am two thousand years old and feel stupid all the time yeah exactly percy pulls riptide out of his pocket and tells zoe he knows that she made that because of a dream he had and Zoe won't say the hero's name who hurt her, but she says Percy wouldn't know his name. It's Hercules. He's an absolute idiot. Oh, yeah. But it's, he's still like, who could it be? Um, she says that her mother was a water goddess, uh, Pleione, and she's one of five daughters. And Percy's like, no, there's only four daughters. And he's, he's correct because Zoe was erased from history and exiled for betraying her family. Uh, They had lived in a garden at the edge of the west with a golden apple tree and a dragon that guarded it named Layden, not Landon, Layden. Not Landon. (laughs) Laydon, Layden. Basically, she helped a hero who then took all the credit and left her behind. So she had nowhere to go because she didn't have any credit. He didn't marry her or whisk her off like I think she had thought he was going to. And her family was refusing to take her back because she betrayed them. 
Before Percy can ask any more questions, they realize they can't go any further because the Hoover Dam is blocking their way. Talia, Grover, and Percy start rattling off facts about the dam. Apparently, it's all Annabeth usually talks about, and there's like a sadness in the air that they are at the dam, and Annabeth isn't with them. Percy suggests that they go sightseeing, just for her sake, and he's in luck because that's also where the road is, so they have to go through it. Grover is clearly smelling monsters, but they're trudging on because... He can't really tell if it's just like wafting because they're getting high up and they're, it's a lot of flat land or if they're actually in danger. Talia points out there's a snack bar because she's been here before to see the Guardians, which are some bronze angel statues that were built in Zeus's honor that mortals keep rubbing the toes of for good luck. She's like, mortals will believe anything. Fun fact, I'm one of those mortals. I've rubbed those toes. Have you really? Yeah, I have. Right here. Didn't give me any luck, I don't think, though, so. <laughs> Wait, come on, Zeus. Talia said she came to talk to them, and they didn't even answer her, so she's like, typical, typical dad being useless. Hmm. Zoe then says, let's find the damn snack bar, and that sends all of the other heroes into, like, middle school level giggles, and Zoe doesn't understand. They start rattling things, like, yeah, let's go to the damn gift shop, let's go to the damn... <laughs> A museum and they're giggling because they're swearing and they're I all swear. like a, I swear they're all losing their minds Percy's like I could have laughed for hours like he's like doubled over laughing when he suddenly hears a moo in the background he immediately like he sobers up and he's like oh shit something's going on and he sends everyone away they're like is that a cow and he's like no absolutely not I have to take care of something can you like head out and he runs to the edge of the dam and looks over it. It's Bessie. She seems to be trying to warn Percy of something, but he obviously can't understand cows. And she seems to want Percy to come with her, but he can't leave his friends. So she ends up disappearing. And Percy's like, did she follow me all the way here? That's like thousands of miles. How did she swim? And he's like freaking out. Now Percy's on high alert. He looks over and he sees uniformed men slowly walking towards him. And through the mist, he can tell they are the skeleton men, which I'm like, how did they get there that fast? Like, they were boar speed. How are these skeleton men moving so fast? There's some speedy skeletons. I know. Percy runs towards the visitor center and to the museum, seeing even more skeletons show up in an unmarked van. There's no place to go, so Percy jumps into the elevator and is told that they're about to descend about 700 feet. The elevator guide woman is kind of odd, and Percy can sense something is off. The woman scolds Percy for not paying attention earlier in her presentation and kind of forces him to move with the group. But as he's leaving the elevator, she turns to him with these startling gray eyes and says, there's always a way out for those clever enough to find it. And then she closes the elevator doors, and Percy's like, that was odd. Where do I know those eyes? I know. I don't stare at them lovingly every single day. Nope. <laughs> Which I totally get the whole, like, Athena being, like, not approving of Percy for his for her daughter. Like, I always got used to get mad at it, but I can totally imagine being a goddess whose one-track mind was, like, cleverness and being wise and watching this kid be, be an absolute dumbass at every opportunity he's given. I'd get so constantly annoyed and he gets he gets away with it too like it always works out like he exactly. makes a dumb decision and it always is like the right decision somehow 
Like, he's, like, the kid that she hates, but everyone else loves. And she's yep. just, like, I can't, it's not, like, a valid reason why I don't like him. It's just my values are so important to me. And he takes it and slam dunks it in the trash. Yep. Anyway, so she gives him the sage advice, and he's like, I don't know what that means, and then moves on. Unfortunately for Percy, the skeletons have also made their way down, and Percy has to, like, run until he realizes he's actually cornered in a balcony. He Percy uncaps his sword and is, like, on high alert when he thinks he hears, like, the chattering teeth sound that the skeleton makes, and he just blindly slashes. Instead, his sword goes straight through a girl with frizzy reddish-brown hair wearing a maroon Harvard sweatshirt. She freaks out that Percy has a sword and that he tried to kill her, which is odd because he's like, wait, A, you're immortal because my sword went through you and it didn't hurt you, but you can see the sword. So she, he's like, how are you seeing the sword right now? And she's just like spewing a bunch of questions at Percy. And then seeing even more through the mist than Percy, like she sees his, what he sees as like a normal winter coat. She sees that it's lion fur. She's like, how are you wearing lion fur? And then Percy's like, oh, well, Talia was able to manipulate the mist. I can do that too. I'll try it. And he just gives like Jedi mind, tries to Jedi mind trick her and like gaslight her and being like, this isn't a sword. You don't see a sword. And she's like, yes, I do. You idiot. It's right in front of me. So he's like, oh, that didn't work. Um, she says her name is Rachel Elizabeth Dare, and he explains that he's in trouble, and she's about to argue with him, but she sees over his shoulder. She obviously sees the skeletons, and she sees that they're skeletons. She tells Percy to hide in the bathroom, and she covers for him. He feels kind of guilty at that moment, too, because he's like, I'm letting a mortal girl fight my battles, but she's not actually in any danger, he thinks. And uh, she ends up distracting the skeletons. She's like, yeah, he ran over there, that crazy kid with the sword. And um, Percy jumps out and like, thanks her. And she starts spewing a lot more questions. And Percy's like, forget everything you've ever seen. I gotta go. Bye. And runs away. Percy runs into the cafe where his friends are calmly eating like burritos and tells them that they need to leave ASAP. They are outnumbered and trapped. They look out the windows. It's like a bunch of glass windows. And they just see like the entire skeleton army kind of descending on them and there's like this whole scene where grover throws a burrito and there ends up being a food fight and one of the skeletons dies <laughs> and it was the most 13 year old thing and the way that percy describes it too he's like if you've ever been hit with a burrito if you've never been hit with a burrito you should consider yourself very lucky it is a mass weapon of destruction i'm like oh my god you're so 13 i can't handle it or 14 I've never been a part of a food fight. I've never witnessed one. I never want to. I think it's an absolute yeah. waste of food. It's smelly. Yeah. And who's going to clean it up at the end? That sounds like very grandma-y me. Grandma-y It does. But I'm just like telling you, like I always thought of that. Whereas even yeah. as a child. Because I was not ever allowed to waste food on my mm-hmm. plate. No matter mm-hmm. how much I didn't want it. So the idea that kids are just throwing it is crazy to me. And the poor janitors. Yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, they're near the Guardians, so Percy gets an idea. He's like, we're outnumbered. We have to either run or fight, and we can't really run, and we're not going to win a fight. So Talia, can you pray to your dad? Like, I'm looking at the Guardians. Maybe they can help. And Talia's, like, really hesitant because she's like, he never answers my prayers. I always feel like an idiot. 
and no. And but Percy starts pressuring her, and he's like hinting that maybe he he met Athena. He's like, I think Athena told me to do this, but I'm not <laughs> sure. But nothing happens, and the skeletons are super close, and they're about to like, oh god, like we gotta really get into a fight about this. When a bronze angel suddenly steps in front of them and folds its wings like shields, and takes the the bullets for the kids. The angels are happy to be able to move around. Percy describes them as having like a dry throat, like a dry, raspy voice, like they haven't drank water. And they're also quite annoying. Talia's like, can you help us? And angels are like, oh, are you a child of Zeus? And she's like, yeah. And they go, you have to say please. <laughs> and then they grab the group and they just fly straight into the air. Nice. Yeah. Um, my last, my only thing I really have to say is, like, I really, I just don't understand. So, like, I get that the gods aren't involved in their demigod children's lives because they're not allowed to, like, interfere with their mortal world and their mortal children, etc., etc. But how, how does that give Zeus free reign to just go and have, like, a fuck fest with any mortal he thinks is attractive? Right? Like, Where sure, do- he hasn't been doing it for the last whatever years. I don't care. Like, for the majority of his existence, he's been doing that. I'm like, that's interfering by literally creating heroes. So where where are the lines? It seems very... Like, even creating... um, What's that thing called? Talos. To oh, protect yeah. Europa was, like, interference. But he can't answer his daughter. Do- like, the best he could do to- for his daughter was make her a tree while she was dying. Yep. The rules He's, are confusing. I would just be so mad. Like, I think I would rather have be son of or daughter of Poseidon because at least Poseidon's not as irritating as Zeus is. Like, yes, you get to be really powerful and be Zeus, but, like, Zeus seems like the worst parent. Like, it's just, like, embarrassing to be like, yeah, I'm the child of Zeus. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's, like, the most hypocritical He seems like the all. most annoying in general, too. Yeah, I would not want to, I would not want to be a child of Zeus. Like, lightning, cool. Flying, cool. No. But not worth it, you know? Not worth it, no. No. Mm-mm. Would you just automatically have, like, a fuckboy blood type? Like, I don't know, like, it's in your veins, it's in your DNA. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. call Talia a fuckboy, though. That she never gets the chance. Maybe she would have been. That's true. Maybe she would have been. We don't know. We don't know. Maybe that's what kind of leads her to choose the path that she does, because she's like, I don't want to follow the full step of my father. I mean, honestly, Mm. yeah. Like, I would be like, I don't want anything to do with him. Oh, that was a long one. Yeah, well, we have another long (laughs) one, so... It's not as long, I think. I don't know. I can't tell anymore. They all blur together. Chapter 15, I Wrestle Santa's Evil Twin. Did you ever read that book, Santa's Evil Twin? No. Oh, it was like a Christmas book that me and my sister were really into because the little girls in it, it was like two little girls that we thought looked like us. Okay. I don't know. But Santa had an evil twin that took over. Anyway, it's like, it was, it was a nice children's book. <laughs> it was kind of scary. He was, he was, a, he was bad news. Anyway, (laughs) the angel statues take them all the way to San Francisco and drop them off, where Grover reminds Percy about Nereus, the old man of the sea that Apollo, uh, Tom Hanks, had (laughs) suggested he go to find out more about the monster that they'll be facing. Zoe knows of Nereus, who is apparently notorious for his smell. 
and leads them to him. She leads them to a pier where people who are homeless are gathered and tells Percy to blend in and, quote, act homeless, which I'm just, mm. How do well, you... Well, don't, don't you remember all of the, like, kids that are in our, in our school who'd be like, oh my god, I look homeless when they're just, like, wearing sweats. That was also at the time where, like, joking about hobos was, like, a big thing when yeah. we were this age. Like, yeah. like, 2010. I don't... Yeah, it's it doesn't age super well. The, no. the anti-homeless vibe is pretty yikes, but... So Percy wanders past people and eventually finds Nereus, who is described... Oh my goodness, so many pages. So Nereus is described as a guy who looked about a million years old and <laughs> was passed out in a patch of sunlight. He wore pajamas and a fuzzy bathrobe that probably used to be white. He was fat with a white beard that had turned yellow, kind of like Santa Claus, if Santa had been rolled out of bed and dragged through a landfill. And then he also just really smells like the sea in a bad way. Mm. He's the yeah. oldest son of um, Gaia and Pontos, who is, like, the sea. Oh. And he's the father of all the Nereids, at least 50 of them. And hmm. one Nereite, which is the male equivalent. Oh, I didn't and, even know there were male ones. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's like apparently one. He's a, he has one son, but I don't know if he's like all of the male equivalents. Um, he can shapeshift, and if a hero catches them, he'll give them a prophecy, which is something that happened with Hercules. Oh, another Hercules reference. Yep, constantly. Me too. So Percy decides to just straight up jump this old man, like that's Percy's best idea. And so the old man tosses Percy aside and makes a break for it. Percy grabs a hold of him and tells him that he's a half-blood and needs information, and Narius is like, nah, I don't want to deal with this, and runs and jumps into the water. And he also turns into a black seal, and Percy and Narius have a little chase that, like, works out because Percy, you know, son of the sea god, so he can he can keep up with the seal. Percy drags Narius back to his friends, and Narius says that he'll only answer one question for them. This is difficult because Percy has many questions. He wants to ask about how to find Artemis, what the creature is, and how to rescue Annabeth. He's most tempted to just straight up ask about Annabeth um, because that's what he cares about most. And honestly, he's not that invested in the rest of the quest, uh, which is his fatal flaw right there. And then he thinks about how Annabeth would be disappointed in him if he saved her and didn't save Olympus. So he like reluctantly is like, fine, and asks Nereus to tell them where to find the terrible monster that could bring an end to the gods. And Nereus is like, oh, he's right here, and points to the water, and then turns into a goldfish and pieces out. And Percy looks down into the water and sees our old pal Bessie, who Grover and who also, how does Bessie travel? Uh, Bessie is a queen of, of weird ways to travel. Grover informs him that Bessie is an Ophiatoris, and Grover's like, oh, I know this thing. And so Grover also can talk to it, apparently. Bessie, who identifies, who is a he, says that Percy is his protector and that he is running from, quote, bad people. Zoe is upset that she hadn't recognized this story earlier. She says that the Ophiatoris is the beast they're looking for and that he must be sacrificed to bring down the gods. This is apparently, I, I guess, the beast that Artemis was also searching for, which, like, it's kind of funny because it was right there at Camp Half-Blood. <laughs> and she, like, went to San Francisco. I don't know. Apparently, during the first Titan War, the Ophiatoris was slain by a giant ally of the Titans, but Zeus sent an eagle to snatch the entrails away before they could be tossed into the fire and fully sacrificed. Nobody knows how this beast has the power to destroy the gods, 
Percy immediately declares that they must protect Bessie at all costs from Luke. And Talia says that, like, yeah, if Luke gets a hold of him, he'll, he'll jump at the opportunity to overthrow Olympus. And she says that that's huge. And there's a nice... And, and Talia is kind of, like, in a, in a daze about this. Um, like, she clearly seems, like, kind of intrigued by this possibility of, like, overthrowing Olympus, which, like, I don't blame her because Zeus is her father. Then um, a nice French voice is behind them and is like, yes, my dear, it is a power you shall unleash. And it's none other than our old friend, Dr. Thorne, who I keep forgetting is French. He's French. I forgot about that. Yeah. It makes it funnier. He probably went and got his doctorate in France. And it's very cool. Baguettes. Yeah. What? (laughs) He got it in baguettes and croissants. Stop. That's all I know about. That's most of what I know about the French. Uh, Bessie then shrinks back into the water away from Dr. Thorne and he is ready to exact his revenge against these meddling children who got away Dr. Thorne tries to convince Talia that it is her time to shine and sacrifice the Ophiatoris herself that the whole reason she was brought back to life was actually by Kronos and was to do this for her 16th birthday which is apparently two days away she's a Capricorn, interesting Talia is in a bit of a daze, clearly tempted by the by the power to overthrow Olympus, kind of like Annabeth's vision. It reminds me of Annabeth's vision from the Sirens about rewriting Olympus herself. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's such a bad thing to want to destroy Western civilization. Like, honestly, down with it. So, like, I don't think this means Talia is, like, tempted by evil or no. necessarily power. Maybe a little bit of the power, but I think she's tempted by the possibility of a better world. And so they try to run for it. Percy pulls a dazed Talia along away from the guards. Thinking fast, Percy slashes off the top of a water fountain and makes an iris called a Camp Half-Blood. Unfortunately, Mr. D answers instead of Chiron. Um, and Mr. D just seems entertained by the fact that they're all about to die, despite Percy's story about the Ophiatoris. Percy gives Mr. D what he what he wants and begs for help mr g's kind of like aren't you gonna say please Mm -hmm. um so a rush a a rush like blood rushing to your head surrounds percy the sunlight tinges purple and grapes and wine waft in the air the guards all descend into madness then dr thorne is engulfed in a huge mass of vines and leaves and grapes and dionysus still on the iris message is like that was fun and it's like a nice reminder that dionysus is also the god of madness on top of like wine and and fun and parties he's mm-hmm. like i also got madness covered maybe i'm a child of dionysus maybe that's <laughs> <laughs> you don't like madness. wine no i i really don't yeah it's just the madness you know <laughs> he tells them that they ought to get going and suggests that zoe knows where they must go notably he also calls percy by the right name for the first time but when confronted about this he's like i did not peter johnson mm-hmm They all then turn to Zoe and ask what Dionysus meant about her knowing where to go. Zoe looks unhappy but points across the bay towards a single mountain. The garden of my sister, she says. I must go home. So that is the end of that chapter. Um, My notes, I covered a lot of them. I I do, I'm still confused about how Talia knows so much about the mist in the beginning of the chapter. Like, Percy's asking about, he's confused about Rachel still and how she saw through the mist. And Talia's like, oh like some mortals can see through it and Percy's like oh yeah like my mom and I just don't know how she learned so much and also like in the previous chapter who taught her to drive I don't know what's been going on in the like five months since she woke up Mm -hmm. um and I also think it's super interesting that this beast has the power to destroy the gods because I'm like 
is it a sim like a symbol because it's something so innocent they sacrifice because they literally sacrifice innocent things all the time i don't know why this is so special but well it's not supposed to even be a baby like it's supposed to be a bull oh really yeah i think they made it a baby and then i think it's also just inferred that it's the sacrificing of something small because there's only one source that it's mentioned and it's supposed to be like part of an epic that we don't have the rest of oh interesting. So we, it's one of the ones of... that was burned in the library maybe maybe i don't really know why we lost it there's a million reasons but it's mm-hmm. supposed to live in the river six it, like in hades world oh cool yeah now what's it doing Some up on earth facts. Also, a fun fact is I just, like, went to Wikipedia really quick just because I wanted to see. Because, like, obviously, if you don't have any information about it, it, our main information is Percy Jackson, actually. Uh, Yes. (laughs) So, it's, like, there's a section in Wikipedia. It's, like, where has it been seen in pop culture? And it was, like, oh, in Percy Jackson. And also in My Little Pony. Wait, excuse me? It shows up in My Little Pony, apparently. I don't know. I'm very intrigued by this. I've never been into My Little Ponies. My sister had a My Little Pony phase, so therefore I hated them because I had to hate everything that she liked at that age. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Um, evil. Yeah. I think I agree. No. (laughs) In the show. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were just saying My Little Pony, and I was going to make a bold stance against My Little Pony. (laughs) They made it very feminine randomly. Like, it's a bull, but it's got eyelashes. But it's evil. Ugh, come on. Too. Do Bessie some justice. <laughs> it's really oh, weird looking. No. Not gonna lie. Oh, no. Well, good for good for Oh. Yeah, why is it so feminine? I don't know. Who's yeah. that man behind it? There's like another bull behind it. Well, it does look kind of evil. That's too bad. Yeah. I don't like this imagining of it. All right, Erin, are you ready for lightning bolt questions? Let's do it. Okay, so suppose you're something similar to the old man in the sea, mm-hmm. where you're able to be given to give prophecies. How would you make it difficult for your heroes to get to you or catch you oh. or what? So I do love the mood of Narius just being like, I'm a seal and jumping into the sea and running away. I think I'd like to be like, if I'm trying to be really annoying, it'd be fun to become like a like a fruit fly or something and they have to catch me because like I I have a lot of anger against fruit flies. It's fruit fly season right now and <laughs> I just am like feel like I'm constantly trying to murder them. Um I guess all life is sacred, but fruit flies mm, I don't know about them. I will kill those ones or like to be like a really creepy bug that they have to ki- like obviously well, what if they killed me that would be really awful. yeah i was just thinking but yeah, i'm just... immortal so it's a so they can't kill me i feel like if they smushed you as a bug you would die like i feel yeah. like there's a price to immortality and if it's it's you can uh, be killed yeah i was thinking more of like sitting on top of a really high mountain so they have to climb to get Ooh, to you that's good that's pretty good I still kind of like being an annoyance, but maybe something bigger. Like a giant dragonfly. Did you know that ancient dragonflies had like three foot wingspans? Isn't that scary? I feel like the ancient world is just like a nightmare to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll be an ancient dragonfly. <laughs> they can fly fast. I mean, they're large, so I'm guessing they'd yeah. be very, like, like, larger than like an, like an eagle. Like a dog. It would be like a dog. 
Yeah. Ooh. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, All I right. guess I'd be a bug. <laughs> <laughs> That's your conclusion. Yeah. All right. Would you use either a bronze animal, a bronze person, or use mm-hmm. traps to guard your trash? <laughs> guard my trash. Olivia is a guard for his trash. Um, I feel like probably traps because, like, an animal and a person, like, that's a whole other, um, like, a wild card. What if they developed a consciousness and didn't want to work for me anymore? <laughs> the traps, if I was Hephaestus, too, I could make them good. I would want a bronze animal just because of, like, the, the fear factor of it. Like, you're digging through my trash and suddenly this, like, bronze dragon descends upon you. Like, how terrifying. Also, how adorable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. Who would you cast as Aphrodite in the new show? Oh, God. I don't know, because I feel like it's such a, like, oh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I don't know. Let me think about that. I think it would be very interesting to cast, like, a non-binary person of color. I was literally, I, on my phone, I was like, non-binary actors. Like, I was like, I was literally looking that up because I was like, I feel like that would be the most, because you need someone who's androgynous and beautiful. Yeah, and like, feminine at the same time. and can Yeah, masculine and both. feminine. Yeah. And then I think also that plays a very interesting role with Aries, because mm-hmm. Aries is like this typical straight, like the straightest man alive, right? Oh, and you yeah. have him, his, like, love of his life be this very androgynous person. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting idea. Like, maybe to him, who knows what they look like to him, too, but I think it's very interesting. Because the form changes. I'm excited, like, in the show if they'll have, like, will they have kind of, like, a like a shape-shifting type of, I don't know how they do that with, like, live action. I know. But that would be really cool hope that they don't cast like a white blonde very busty like very typically feminine how european standard beauty woman and be like ah aphrodite yeah everyone knows this is the standard for beauty yeah that would be annoying boring literally mm-hmm. the first th- like person that came to mind i was like beyonce everyone loves <laughs> beyonce like <laughs> everyone acknowledges beyonce is beautiful yeah but also i do think like re- like the coolest casting would be someone who is androgynous and a person of color would be really cool um yeah i'm excited for that that's so far out that's like years down the line i know it's so so far like it's this is season three of a show that we hope is good you know who they'll probably cast scarlett johansson (laughs) (laughs) she could play anyone i know well it, it she does fit that standard of like european very curvy very beautiful yep. white woman yep. yep and especially like i mean that's why woody allen was obsessed with her so it's just really unfortunate mm-hmm. if they do that what are you talking about she's a white woman but they cast her as non-white <laughs> she's characters. actually an asian american woman she's Don't actually you know an asian american yeah <laughs> shocking oh, man. all right those were the questions i had for you Whew, those are good yay what an episode. What a long one. Well, yeah. um, next week, chapters 16 through 18, There's, I think those are also going to be really long. That's like kind of the, the main bad guy confrontation of the book. And mm-hmm. also Annabeth is there. So that's exciting. Uh, finally, I feel like it's been really sad without her. Mm-hmm. 
And don't forget to follow us on all social media. We are at Camp Pathpod. Wherever you think of social media, we are there. Don't forget to email us your lightning bolt questions, any fun facts you have. I don't know. Maybe you know about the prehistoric dragonfly. <laughs> Send it our way, which is camphalfpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you love us. If you don't, then just leave. Yep. yep. Exactly. There's the door. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you.